Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. All right, I'm here with Angelique. Uh, tell us, Angelique, you're, you're from Mesa, I believe. Tell us uh, what brought you into the world of Leading Saints and why do you support Leading Saints? Hi, yes, Mesa, Arizona. And I learned about the podcast when I was listening to the church's 12-step tradition recovery manual. And I somehow find the, found the podcast attached there. And I was interested because there was such a fresh perspective on something I knew very little about when I was first introduced to that program. And I, as I've continued to listen, I feel like there's been a fresh perspective from whether it's from you or from the people who you interview or from, I especially enjoy the people who are leading in similar callings and they really can show me what they're doing on a daily basis to do the same thing I'm trying to do, or maybe something I could possibly do in the future. I haven't even been in a leadership calling since I've listened. I've been in Ward Primary Music Leader, I've been the Ward Choir Director, and those callings are sometimes overlooked in a leadership podcast, but I feel like there's always been something relevant that I can apply there. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and here at the Leading Saints podcast, we talk about all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saints. Now, Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We're actually a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead, and we do that through various forms of content and publishing like this podcast or our newsletter or all the articles at leadingsaints.org. We encourage you, if you're new, if you're not familiar with Leading Saints, head on over to leadingsaints.org after you've subscribed to this podcast and and uh, check out the content there. Peruse it. See what helps. See where what you agree with, what you disagree with. We hope that uh, in engaging in leadership principles in the context of being a Latter-day Saint, your life and uh, discipleship of Christ will grow. So a few months ago, I had the opportunity through an invitation from my good buddy, Rick McGee, to go out to Springfield, Missouri and do some interviews out there. And Rick showed me around town and talked about the rich Christian tradition they have in Springfield, Missouri, especially for the Assembly of God Church. Now, the Assembly of God Church is a phenomenal Christian organization, and it is huge. Sometimes we flex our muscles with the 16, 17 million members that we have around the world. The Assembly of God have somewhere around 63 million members across the globe, and it is a phenomenal organization preaching the gospel of Christ and— uh, they just do great stuff. And so there's one church in particular that's part of the Assembly of God called Central Assembly there in Springfield, Missouri. Large congregation, lots of pastors, really doing some good work. And while I was in town, I thought, you know what? This is like the Salt Lake City for the Assembly of God. This is their home base. And while I'm here, I would love to talk to a pastor in the Assembly of God Church and uh, just 
see how they lead, right? This is a how I lead episode where we explore that. Obviously, a little bit different since this isn't a, a calling within our church, but being a pastor in the Assembly of God Church was really interesting to me. So we contacted the Central Assembly, said, hey, do you got a pastor? Would one of your pastors be willing to sit down with this Mormon guy from Salt Lake City and talk with me? We actually talked with a few others that were like, oh, I don't know if I want to be on this guy's podcast. And, you know, what's he going to ask me? And I just said, I promise I'll be nice. I'm not going to, you know, back into a corner. I just want to understand how you lead. And so they introduced us to Pastor David Jane and such a kind man. He has a, a master's degree and has been credential minister for over 45 years. He's helped people work their way through some of life's most challenging times. He's also on various community and initiatives such as the Mayor's Task Force on Crisis Sheltering, the Springfield Impacting Poverty Commission, and the Cox Health Patient Family Advisory Council. And I loved meeting Pastor Jane. And as I sat down with him trying to understand what he did, you know, it's easy to assume these pastors, their role is to preach every Sunday, right? And obviously, you know, do some of those pastoral care things. But as I talked with Pastor Jane, he explained basically what he does is he goes around and visits those people that maybe haven't been able to make it to church or people who are going through a hard time. And the more he talked, the light bulb went off and said, huh, you're like one of our ministering brothers. And uh, so we went that direction as far as making visits, leading in a calling where you are making visits, going to people's homes. How do you make yourself welcome? How do you not overstay your time and those types of things? So it was fun to just sort of explain this uh, or, or explore this concept of ministering in our faith tradition, but from the perspective of somebody in a, a, a in the Assembly of God faith. So phenomenal discussion. I hope you learned some things. Here's my interview with Pastor David Jane. Today I'm in uh, Springfield, Missouri at the Central Assembly Church talking with uh, Pastor David Jane. And how are you? I am doing great, and it's a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thanks. And, you know, being in, coming to Springfield, there's, you know, the, I guess this is the, is this the world headquarters for the Assembly of God, That's right? correct. Yes, and And you're, I don't know how you explain it. So Central Assembly is an Assembly of God church. That's correct. And you're right next door to the headquarters. And we are. Nice. Yes. Nice. Uh, by the way, uh, not just next door, but this property where we are at uh, the 1301 North Boonville Avenue, mm -hmm. Boonville and Calhoun. We just celebrated 100 years on this site. In fact, wow. we are still in celebrating that. But we were here on this site long before the General Council oh, really? <laughs> uh, came to Springfield even. And so uh, there's a long story about that. I bet. But this church has been in existence for 114 years but on this site continuously for a hundred years this wow. year. Wow. Well, that's that's fantastic. That's a great uh, great thing to celebrate. So, how do you, especially for the Latter Day Saints out there who may not be as familiar with Assembly of God, and and again, you're not like this official spokesman for Assembly of God. You're just Pastor David that is at the Central Assembly Church. But being next door and maybe bring some perspective to, I mean, how do you explain to just a general Christian what the Assembly of God is? The Assembly of God is a movement, a fellowship of Pentecostal believers who have a uh, mandate to spread the gospel, not only to the local community, but around the world. And uh, I am not prepared to tell you how many uh, missionaries <laughs> that we have currently it's around the world. It's probably a lot. <laughs> we have a lot around the world, and uh, especially in the uh, countries that are um, friendly 
toward having evangelical missionaries. In fact, my wife works for one of the missions offices, the Africa office oh, wow. uh, for the general council. Wow. So it re- works here remotely with that office. Is uh, that She works in another building. Okay. It's a satellite office from the main building. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. And so, and the Assembly of God is a, a, I mean, it's a large organization of churches, right? I mean, That's it's, right. Uh, you know, we feel, you know, Latter-day Saint Church, we sort of feel like, oh, we got like almost 17 million members. But I mean, this is many, many, many more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is the largest Pentecostal oh, wow. organization. Wow. And uh, you're all over the world and all different languages and things like that. So, yes. so what, as far as like a, a local church, like Central Assembly, what... I mean, do you get direction from the the main church, or how does that work? How does that dynamic work? The Assemblies of God is made up of cooperative, it is a cooperative fellowship. While we adhere to the Constitution bylaws for the General Council, each church is autonomous. It is, as I said, a cooperative fellowship. So that means that uh, while we adhere to the general beliefs and statement of fundamental truths, we still, as a independent church organization, are able to minister and exist as we want to that is best suited for our congregation. Yeah. And that may not even be the same as is another Assembly of God church across town. Yeah. Because you all have different needs and exactly. depending on the demographics and exactly. things like that. And that's why there are so many different churches yeah. is because there are so many different people groups and uh, styles and uh, what their likes and dislikes are. Yeah. So do you find that, you know, from one church to another, obviously there's different maybe needs or demographics involved, but do you find that even the um, some of the beliefs or perspectives of the gospel that a pastor may have vary considerably or— I would say perspectives, maybe, but as an Assembly of God church, we adhere to the same statement of fundamental truths. Yeah, yeah. And is that like a a printed statement or things that— And so you can review that. It is in print, yeah. (laughs) So it it would be quite obvious if maybe a pastor took a left turn or something in (laughs) in their beliefs, right? Yeah. I've never functioned on the district or the general council level. But yes, uh, there are uh, ways of making sure that churches adhere to the core values and the core fundamental truths. Right, right. Awesome. So, and then your role here, because I mean, this is just walking through this, this is a, a very large church. Uh, so, like, like, just to put it in perspective, pre-COVID, how many people do you, did you typically get on a worship service? Uh, we, pre-COVID, were uh, in the neighborhood of eleven to 1,300 on a Sunday morning. Wow, nice. And do you have a team of pastors? Maybe explain that dynamic of, I mean, there's yes. more than one pastor that's handling all those, yes. those people. Uh, right now, in fact, we just added two more. I, I believe right now we have around 11 pastors on staff, hmm. each one in charge of a different uh, area of ministry for the church. We have two pastors that are actually a youth pastor and then a youth coordinator, but both are credentialed ministers, and have, the church has recognized them as a pastor for that area. We have uh, a connect pastor who is in charge of all of our service hosts, uh, greeters, 
ushers, what terms that we used to use, but now they are service hosts and uh, getting people involved. Uh, you come, you want to attend, we get you involved some way in the church. And so the Connect Pastor for us is uh, relatively new in the last couple of years and uh, very vital mm-hmm. to the growth of our church. Yeah. And I would imagine for each church, they just sort of determine their needs as far as what how many pastors they need or what sure. those pastors do. And then they, mm-hmm. there's not like this official framework, per se, Correct. that everyone duplicates. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so, and you're not what you used the term before, hit record, the, you're not the preaching pastor, right? I mean, every, maybe every once in a while, they, they put a mic in front of you and ask you to preach, but you're not up there every Sunday no. uh, preaching. Our lead pastor is a preaching pastor. Mm-hmm. We all agree that he is the one that should be preaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have uh, several very dynamic speaking pastors on our staff. And uh, lead pastor, the speaking pastor is not their portfolio. They are called on uh, to uh, minister in the pulpit. And uh, we're very proud of the fact that we have two women who are licensed, uh, one ordained minister on our uh, staff. And uh, that is just vital to being able to reach every aspect of the congregation. And what does that the licensing or the ordination process look like? I mean, is there certain requirements there? Licensing is the first step in becoming a, a certified or a recognized uh, minister within the church okay. uh, structure. Nice. And so, when that ordination happens, is it sort of like uh, you know a, a degree process? Like, uh, here's your no, or is it uh, after uh, they go through the ordination? process, which is doing quite a bit of study and uh, answering the test, passing the test uh, with many references coming in, personal references, ministry references, then usually at a district council, they will have the ministry or the uh, yes of laying on of hands. Oh, okay. And so a minister of their choosing can be or one of the district presbyters in a service will do a ministry of laying on of hands and just a prayer of dedication yeah. to their ministry. Awesome. Yeah, and that's similar to in our faith tradition as well. So, And I'm intrigued by your work here that uh, you talk about that your ministry is outside the walls of this church. Maybe break that down, what that looks like. Okay. Well, as care and community pastor, first of all, the pastoral care aspect is— meeting the needs of people who may not be able to come, but they call Central Assembly their home. People who are sick, people who, by uh, virtue of family uh, uh, responsibilities, cannot make it into a church service. People who are, the spouse has been deployed, uh, watching out for those individuals who may need help in one way or another. It isn't just ministering to the sick. While that is a large portion of my ministry, uh, there is the wraparound care of all of our people so that when they are not able to be active here in the church, we can come to them and see how we can minister to them. We are trying to start ministering to families who are fostering. 
They have children come and go through their home oftentimes, not prepared for maybe the last few children they've had in their home were infants or toddlers. But then all of a sudden, they are asked to foster teenagers. There's a lot of need that goes into yeah, that. But, yeah. And so we want to be able to come around those foster parents and say, okay, how can we help you? How can we minister to you? Do you have needs that we might be able to help you with uh, material needs, not just spiritual needs? And then uh, working with the different care groups throughout the city, one of them being cross lines here in city yeah. of Springfield through the Council of Churches, does an incredible ministry of uh, feeding people, uh, bringing them help. We work alongside them, especially around the holidays, giving them our church space to actually put that ministry out to the community where we're serving 11, 1,200 families, all that they need for their Thanksgiving meal. Uh, working with Victory Mission, uh, doing the mobile food pantry where a couple times a month they set up in our parking lot and we have 30 to 40 people drive through and get groceries. Uh, working with uh, our sister church over here in the neighborhood, uh, Freedom City Church, it's a church that has opened its doors to every type of individual that we have not been successful in ministering to. Hmm. The homeless, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, mm-hmm. they have a ministry where they go out on Saturday nights, Friday nights, to where they know these events are happening and literally talk to people, wow. try to get them in. And they are successful. Their church is packed to the walls. Wow, that's great. And so they are what we consider a sister church. So we support them not only with uh, helping with some of their ministries, but also financially uh, in a big way. Yeah. The same with Victory Mission. They minister to the homeless, primarily men. They now have a women's home as well. And uh, we do whatever we can to work with them. In fact, right now, we're in the planning stages of how we can do a drive-through Thanksgiving meal mm-hmm. that we normally open up our multipurpose hall and have about 400 people in and serve them Thanksgiving dinner the night before Thanksgiving. Well, with COVID, yeah, there's no way adjust. we can do that yeah. right now. So we're going to be putting it together as a takeout meal and have everybody drive through or walk up, and we will have their meal for them to take with them. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we have, um, I guess, an organized effort called Ministering in our church. So we call them Ministering Brothers and Sisters. And so everybody in a congregation is assigned a handful of families and a companion to go with, right? And just to watch over, make sure, you know, something comes up, that someone's there for them. In theory, it maybe works better than in reality, but, you know, we, we gave our best effort, right? So, and one of the sort of the ongoing, I don't know, joke is the right term, but, you know, you go into a home and you say, well, is there anything we can do for you, right? We use this line over and over again. And usually, you know, it's, it's more comfortable to be the one serving than receiving the service at times, sure. right? And so a lot of times it's hard to draw out the need that people may have. And so any advice as far as as you minister to people, like, how do you draw that need out or get them to say, actually, yeah, I do need to need some help. And this is what it looks like. Any advice there? I wish that we were as organized as that, where everyone was assigned someone else. We are not. I wish we were. 
but how we come to learn of needs and uh, are able to minister to people is number one, and I, this is definitely not a strong suit for me, but that is uh, being very active on social media. Oh, yeah. People will put on social media <laughs> right. what their needs are, but will not confess them to the church. Interesting, yeah. Or to the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so a lot of times, uh, even uh, a lot of people, we find out that they are going to the hospital through social media versus, <laughs> wow. hey, I'm going to have surgery next yeah. week. Which I, I think is funny, but see, I'm coming from a world of where it used to be everyone would let the, the church or the pastor know that they were going to be going to the hospital or they had a dire physical need or even a material need. And uh, that's not quite the way it is anymore. So right now we're uh, working through a staff enrichment of, you know, uh, working through uncharted territory. And what was behind us is doesn't look anything like what's ahead of us. And so we are having to adapt. I have to have my ear to the ground more to hear and to see what people are posting on social media in order for me to say, hey, I can help you with that. Would that be okay? Yeah. Or I have a group of people who at our church who love doing this, would you be willing to let them come and help you? And so that is something that is changing very quickly for us. And that is finding out what the need is, where the need is. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of that involves you being aware of resources locally, you know, uh, that, that you can draw from, right? And uh, Correct. depending on the need. Uh, which like a lot of families who are in the right in the middle of personal family situations where there's abuse in the home or just whatever. A lot of them don't know that we have an incredible home for, especially for women and children to get out of abusive situations, mm -hmm. that there is an, a full program in place, even for someone that will come and take them to that place and their uh, whereabouts and their everything is uh, totally secret so that they are protected. And a lot of people aren't aware that that's available to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I don't know about in your church, but we still have situations like that that do occur with the individuals in our church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts or tips as far as drawing the need, bringing the need to the surface so you can actually help them? Yeah. In one way or the other, if you are connected with a lot of people within the church, and that is one thing I try to do. One of the things that I do weekly, pre-COVID, of course, and now yeah. as, as much as I can, I'm in the lobby before and after every service to meet with people, to talk with people. And that's where you hear and find out a lot of needs that are existing, because when people see you available hmm. to talk with them, they'll say, hey, by the way, did you know that brother so-and-so is really struggling right now? Yeah. And no, I did not know. Please tell me. Without it being a means of, uh, you know, just spreading bad news, Yeah. at least just sharing the need. And that allows me to know how to approach that individual to say, you know, I understand you've got an, a need. How can we help you? Mm -hmm. How can we minister to you? 
Well, just pray for me. Yeah, I can pray for you and I will, and I'll do it right now. But is there something, do you need food? Do you need clothing? Do you need transportation? Yeah, 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 that's that's helpful. And, and sometimes I'm curious if you have any insight on this, that as you know, people go through things, sometimes uh, you know, you want to bring the knees to the surface, but sometimes feel almost gossipy, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, did you know this or that? Mm-hmm. And, and any advice there to, is it mainly just, you know, we got to be aware of these things. So yeah. we got to talk about and them. What I would say on that is when someone says, by the way, did you know? I say, no, when they tell me what the need is, we cut the conversation off right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need the sordid details. <laughs> I just need to know the need and I need to be able to say, is this public knowledge? Yeah. And will they be offended if I approach them? Mm. We have to be sensitive to people about their need because there are some people that would rather die with their need than to share it. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How would you coach if I'm a, I'm a brand new, you know, outreach pastor or, or, you know, ministering brother and I'm going into a home for a visit of someone who maybe there's not an obvious need, you know, there's, uh, but I'm going in for a visit, check up on them. What, what should I consider and what should I do walking into that home? Okay. First of all, I would say to never knock on the door unannounced. Okay. <laughs> I firmly believe that if you feel you need to make a call to someone's home, whether there's a need there or not, you should probably call, email, Uh, text if you have that uh, available to you to say, I would like to visit with you. Would would it be convenient for me to stop by and visit you? I would never go unannounced. I think that uh, just is, uh, uh, it's not a good practice for today Mm -hmm. uh, because there are a lot of people, especially if you're dealing with the uh, older demographic, They don't want a stranger at their door and they may not know you well enough to say, should I or should I not open that door? Yeah. But the other thing I would say is on a visit to the home, I would never do it more than about 10 minutes. Hmm. Uh, Oftentimes you wear out your welcome past that. And it also closes the door for you to go back and minister again. Yeah. Uh, I have a number of people right now uh, that I uh, call and I go visit as they are willing to have me come from the standpoint, uh, older people take their nap in the afternoon. <laughs> you don't want to disturb their nap. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they're unable to be here. Right now, I'm dealing with one lady who her husband had to go to a nursing home. Uh, he was in holding at a nursing facility for weeks because they couldn't find him a place anywhere. And she finally got him into a nursing facility, but it is temporary. Yeah. And she struggles every day and every night with that and having to have him move out of the home during this time when she cannot even go visit him other than outside a window. Wow. Yeah. Uh, of course, he is experiencing uh, mental issues with Alzheimer's and so forth. But every other week, talking to her in person, just sitting down, letting her know somebody does care and someone is there to even offer some advice if she needs that. 
but mostly just to pray with her and let her know you've done the right thing. You have not done something that was wrong towards your spouse. Uh, he was too much for her to handle. Yeah. Uh, he was falling. He was knocking her down. She, he needed to be in a facility where someone could take care of him. But she's still struggling with the fact she had to put him somewhere. Yeah. And so every now and then that they hear someone cares about that, someone's praying with them about that, and someone's there to affirm them in their decision and what they've had to do. That is the type of thing that I feel is important for especially the older demographic of the church, that when they no longer can be a part of the organ of the group, they still know that their church cares for them. Yeah. And that's really a lot about sort of your main core message is reminding people we're still here. We realize you can't be with us, but we still think about you, pray about you and and we're here. And a certain amount of those, even those older folk still aren't technically savvy enough to get on the online service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The one lady I'm talking about does not even have internet in her home. Yeah. Not a part of their life. Right. Right. And they're okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Any other, uh, you know, you talk about don't going unannounced, keeping the the visit short, anything else that you would coach somebody is making an effective visit? Um, Just being very sensitive to that family Mm -hmm. or to that individual. Uh, If they say, really, uh, I'm okay. Uh, If you just call me, I will be happy with that. Most of the time, that's they're letting you know. You know, yeah, there's a boundary uh, I, there. <laughs> yeah, I don't need you to be here in person. And uh, but don't drop it just because of that. Make sure you still make the phone call. Make sure you still send a handwritten note. Yeah. Uh, one thing right now our senior pastor is doing and every week we write handwrite a thank you note either to a volunteer or to someone on staff, letting them know how much we appreciate them and that what they are doing here does not go unnoticed. Yeah. And um, I think that is important, especially for a, uh, uh, a generation of people that the written note was the way that you expressed thanks, the way you expe- expressed appreciation, uh, and it wasn't done in an email. It was done in a handwritten note yeah. that came in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the, the old school mail service that just brings a yeah. little more heart, right? <laughs> Eventually that will fade away. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, but while we have it, while we'll we have it. it, it is a nice gesture that makes that particular age group feel very, very special. Yeah. Love that. Um, what about, uh, you know, sort of pivoting to a hospital visit? Is the same rules apply or anything unique about a hospital visit? When I uh, recruit someone to work with me in hospital visitation, I let them know they are not there to sit all day with that person who is in the hospital. That's number one rule. You go in, you make yourself known, you assess the situation. If they are very sick, just say, I just wanted you to know that we are praying for you, that we think about you. I'm going to pray with you and I am going to let you be. Uh, if we do that within three minutes, yeah, that is the best thing we can do. Uh, 
I rarely sit down in a hospital room hmm. just because uh, that person is there to get well, not for me to carry on a long conversation. <laughs> there have been times yeah. when I have sat and listened because I could tell they were needing to talk and it was a, quote, safe place yeah. for them to talk where they may not feel that at home or in the nursing facility, what, just what, wherever they uh, originally came from. But to go in, read a scripture, say a prayer, and leave. Yeah. Do, do you often get people who want you to stay and because they're lonely? There are say, please sit down. I, I would like to visit with you. Oh, okay. And when you, that, I will take five, 10 minutes and sit and visit with them so long as it does not interfere with the care, the medical uh, staff that is there to help them. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we do is we don't go visiting in the hospital until after 10 a.m. Uh, prior to that is the time when uh, all the medical personnel are in and out of those rooms. The doctors are coming to talk with them. And by all means, number one rule, if a doctor or a nurse comes in to do anything for that patient, your cue is to leave the room, say, I will step outside. Hmm. If you haven't had a chance to pray, I'll step outside until they're done. And then I'll come back in. Yeah. Or just say, you know what? I will come again and we can carry on this uh, discussion. But uh, right now we need to give your time, this time, to your doctor, to your nurse, to whatever uh, staff is there to work with you. Yeah. Um, when you uh, reference as far as praying with them, I mean, is there, and I don't mean to get too far into the weeds here, but I think it is helpful because these are things that uh, a lot of us think through and are trying, you know, we want to handle correctly. But when you pray for them, I mean, do you pray for healing? Do you, is there any things you say or don't say? Or, <laughs> Well, I'll be honest with you because I believe it uh, as one of the core values, core doctrines. We believe in divine healing. Right. Uh, and I will pray for divine healing. But you know what? There's times when we know that, uh, except that God gives us a miraculous intervention, this person is not going to be with us. But I always pray God's will for hmm. their life. Yeah. God, whatever your will is for this person, uh, whatever it is, I just pray that it will be performed in their life. Yeah, there's a point in which uh, an individual is beyond being able to make that decision for themselves. Yeah. So we just commit them into God's hands and say, God, perform your divine will. If it's God's will for him to take them home, that's what we right. want. And that's a beautiful thing, too, at times. Yes, you know? right. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate healing. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, as people listen to this, that. Uh, Maybe in a you know COVID world, a visit isn't even possible, right? They're not even going to let you through that uh, front door, As even if you're right now. Yeah, pastors cannot come unless they are the only person that that uh, person in the hospital will see that day. Oh, okay. So if I so there go are some and take things. up that one visit, then their family cannot. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you don't want to take that they away from the family. Always defer to the family. Yes, <laughs> that's a good idea. So, uh, and you talked about some of these before. I'd love to have. Uh, as far as like how you've adjusted some of these hospital visits, uh, you know, during this time where mm -hmm. you maybe can't make a visit. Right. 
Uh, if the individual is able to talk on the phone, we'll call on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're going to be an extended stay, we will send a uh, sometimes send flowers. Uh, but I understand even a lot of uh, hospitals are not allowing flowers into the room hmm. now. Uh, if that person moves to a care facility, we at least know where they have uh, been moved so that we can follow up with whatever kind of care we can give them uh, uh, after they have moved. Uh, one of the things that we really want them to know is whether I can be in your room hold your hand and pray. I am still praying for you. Your church is still praying for you. We do have a prayer list that we circulate almost daily of people who've been added to the list, taken off the list. Even though my visitation team cannot visit the hospitals, I still publish that list of people who are either in the hospital or in nursing facilities every day. Hmm. And for quite some time, that list has not changed other than we've had to take people off who have passed away. Hmm. And uh, uh, when that happens, then uh, of course, then we're involved with funeral services, memorial services. And uh, that is another big aspect of my particular position as care pastor. If there is a funeral, I will coordinate that funeral for the family uh, if they are going to have it through the church. Uh, If they do it in the uh, funeral home, uh, we are there to help them to do whatever they want from us. But then usually the coordination of the services are done through the funeral home. But if they are wanting to have it through the church, then my job is to uh, be there for the family to coordinate that funeral to uh, make arrangements for the pastor they choose to have, for the musicians, uh, the technical people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, That is a big part of my job, especially in a church that has the amount of senior adults that we do. Yeah, yeah. And you also mentioned as far as like uh, leveraging the parking lot, uh, you know, maybe before a surgery, you'd meet somebody out front, right, and pray with them there rather right. than because you can't go in with them. Right. And that is also a uh, touchless ministry. Yeah. Uh, what we do is pull up beside them in the car and they will write, roll their window down. We'll roll our window down. We're still masked so that we're not yeah. s- still spreading out those droplets and uh, just let them know that we're there praying for them that day and then pray with them right there before they get out of their car and go into the hospital. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, it may not be the way we choose to do it, but it's the way we have to do it right now. But at least those individuals still know that we're there and care for them. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's easy to sort of dismiss it all and say, well, you know, it can't be there and we're praying for you. Good yeah. luck. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, but to really take an effort, speed, you know, that yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Any other like uh, typical visit you make? We talked about in the home, in the hospital, anything else that you find yourself, uh, you know, uh, context? Th- those there? are primarily it. Uh, some uh, we have had a number of uh, uh, homeless people that come through. Of course, we're in the downtown area. Uh, we are on the way to all of the places that uh, have uh, free meals. Hmm. 
just down the street, uh, Harbor House will feed uh, quite a few people at lunchtime. Just up the road, Victory Mission feed at dinner time. So we're on the way. We have a lot of folk that uh, come to us looking for help. We have people who come in on Sunday morning, passing through. Uh, we always treat everyone that you came here because of a divine appointment, not by happenstance or mm-hmm. by coincidence, or that we were just on the way. Yeah, You came in today because you have a desire to hear from something bigger than yourself, to hear from God. We want you to enjoy the service. We are here if you need help afterwards. And uh, while we are not able to financially support every person that comes through our door, at least we are able to, uh, we have a list of resources Mm -hmm. that we even know they can on Sunday, just two blocks down the street from us, have Sunday lunch. Uh, Or in the evening, two blocks up that way, Mm -hmm. you can have dinner. Uh, And so, uh, and for safety's sake, we don't usually try to pair them up with someone to take them to lunch. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, there's just so many reasons why that is just not a smart thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, this has been, uh, great. Cause I know so many, you know, in our church, they're, we're just constantly trying to figure out that personal one-to-one visit. And sometimes it can be awkward or you don't know mm-hmm. what to say or whatever. So this has been really helpful. Um, uh, before we wrap up any other principle or thought that maybe we didn't touch on that, uh, would be appropriate to hit on, or do we do we do it uh, justice here? I think we've covered everything, at least from from my perspective. Yeah, sure. And from uh, my sphere of ministry here, ministering to the people of the church and doing what we can to minister to those who are outside the church. Uh, our primary goal in every situation is that individual comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And without being the type that will beat them over the head with it, we use every opportunity we can as a divine appointment that God loves you, we love you, and we want you to know God does have a plan and a purpose for your life. Yeah. And if there's any way we can help you to, uh, if there's any way we can help you realize that that's why we're here yeah that's awesome well last question i have for you uh pastor david is just as you have been in this leadership role as a pastor and and serving in the capacity that you do how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of jesus christ you can't be a leader without being a follower in my estimation yeah uh we have too many people uh, just being a leader means you're just a professional yeah But to be a follower, I want everyone to experience what I have experienced with Christ. Uh, That is first and foremost in my ministry. I want you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's what has made the difference in my life. That is what has, is the very foundation of my life. And as far as leadership goes, unless you come to that point first, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot be a spiritual leader. Thanks.
That concludes my interview with Pastor David Jane. I bet you somewhere in your local area, there's an Assembly of God church. Google it and go visit him. Get to know the pastor uh, or pastors that are there and understand what they do. And and maybe you are a bishop or Relief Society president. Say, hey, I'm, I'm sort of the pastor in my own congregation. Like, want to go to lunch? Right. There's such precious uh, unity and worship as we reach out to these other faiths, especially there's leaders and say, hey, I'm a leader too. Like, what can we learn from each other? How can we support each other? When you have a service project, I'm going to bring my congregation to help your congregation and vice versa, right? So definitely go search the Assembly of God Church in your area, reach out to them and say, hey, I heard a pastor that gave some great advice and I'd love to connect with you and, uh, and serve Christ alongside with you. It'd be such a benefit to your experience as a leader and for your community. Are there any any other people, like obviously not the, the expected interviews that maybe I should do, individuals outside the faith? Man, one I would love, and I've, we've tried before and I'll keep trying again, but to get the bishop, the Catholic bishop of, uh, of Salt Lake City, I would love to interview him. Um, such a unique perspective being in a very, uh, you know, uh, being in Salt Lake City where surrounded by Latter-day Saints, but worshiping as a Catholic and, and leading that. Uh, that group would be it would be phenomenal. So who else could we reach out to and learn from who maybe isn't their traditional Latter-day Saint that w- that could bless our lives? I'd love to hear it. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and uh, let me know. Line it up and let's do it. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.